And we're back. Hey, everybody. This is The Inconvenient Truth with Therese and Early. And we're excited about another episode. This is actually kind of wrapping up. We've been talking over the last several weeks about the value, the voice, and the vote of the black community and how that impacts and reverberates, you know, around uh, the world. So we're going to actually dig into uh, what I think will be a really fun episode. I've actually been looking forward to recording this for the last few days. And we're going to talk about the vote, how our vote Mm -hmm. has historically impacted and and more recently uh, with um, the Obama administration, kind of how we kind of talk let's talk about how we went through that progression we were in philadelphia when he was elected the first time you know we can talk about the you know the emotion of it let's go back because we were let's start there i think that's a good place Cherise. we were coming across the ben franklin bridge we had just had uh dinner with some friends Mm -hmm. over in jersey right and we were listening to the um uh the election results yeah because they were kind of it was close to the end and they were about to announce it Mm-hmm. But it was so late, so we were going home. And as we came across that bridge and hit 40th Street and Walnut, mm-hmm. and they announced that Barack Hussein Obama was the 44th president of the United States of America. It was, Philadelphia oh was insane. I mean, people were outside on their porches, Screaming. honking their yes, horns. Honking the horns. And there was a lot of hope. There was a lot of expectation because we got home just in time to watch his um, acceptance speech. speech. Yes. yes, you had you had Oprah, you had Jesse Jackson. I mean, there were just leadership across the, the board. Um, you know, from all different walks of life. Right. And what the one thing that I, I believe that we both agreed on is that there that seemed like it was a very spiritual time. It seemed like it was almost like. It was something that we were watching destiny unfold. Right, because I mean, truth is, for for our generation, we never believed we would see a black president. No, we joked about yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I think that I believe that one day, you know, mm-hmm. as Martin Luther King said, I have a dream. You know, I had a dream that one day, but I never thought that I would see that day. Right. Even though I thought it would it would happen. So for that to happen in my lifetime, or not even just me, say my grandmother. For that to happen in her lifetime, oh my mm-hmm. God, that was just crazy exciting. Mm-hmm. And when you look at what he, what it took for him to garner that many people showing up, particularly, and let's just be real, particularly from the black community right. coming out to vote. Now we go back, you know, as he's leading up to um, his nomination and things. I was in a barber shop. And you've heard me tell this story before. I was in a barbershop and everybody's in there, you know, just gapping and doing what guys do in barbershops. And the dude that was uh, giving me my line looked down. And he was like, so I know who you voting for. And I was like, I don't think you do. And he said, what? And it was like the whole barbershop. Was like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what you mean? I said, well, I, honestly, we were just really digging into our new business, uh, uh, entrepreneurship and things like that. So I said, I'm not nobody has my vote automatically and this is contrary to what to what a lot of people believe especially from the white community right. that people just voted for um black people just voted for barack because he was black right don't get me wrong <laughs> don't get it twisted 
the brother was cool and and that was i mean he i was leaning that way but i wanted to do due diligence and look at some of his policies um and, and because i wanted to know that as a business owner you know um the person in the white house was going to really be fighting for not big, just big corporation but for the small um entrepreneurs yeah you know i of course i was definitely leaning heavily mm-hmm. heavily <laughs> that's a heavenly same thing for me when it comes to barack obama no but i was leaning heavily mm-hmm. towards um barack obama because yeah he was a black man and if there was going to be a first black president he definitely fit the bill because couldn't have been Herman Cain. No, <laughs> definitely couldn't have been Jesse Jackson. No, Barack Obama's slate was clean. He, his family was was, was solid. Harvard his Law wife, graduate. yep, his wife was someone who could be respected and was already respected. Mm-hmm. So she didn't need an office to make her respected. She was already respected. And I, I had read up on him and I knew the things that he accomplished in Chicago. You know, in Chicago is high crime, high. There are a lot of things going on in Chicago. You know, and so for him to have been active in Chicago, not just an onlooker saying, oh, this is what's happening in Chicago. Hey, let's talk about it. Let's criticize it. He lived in Chicago mm-hmm. and had worked for Chicago for many years before he became president. Yeah. So. And, and even the, the corruption. I mean, we talk about New York, Chicago, Philadelphia, Detroit. Mm-hmm. The main thing, St. Louis, the main thing that comes to mind is the corruption. Right. In high places. Right. Somehow. He seemed to to come out of that fray without a bunch of without the scavings of scandal. Right. There wasn't a scan. There was nothing attached to his name that made you go. Uh, so you know. much so that he came out of office with a, a scandal. Right, right, <laughs> but, right, right, right. Um, and then the things that they were, that people were critics were saying about him. Mm-hmm. You know, they just to me they weren't. They weren't founded on anything, you know, and, and not the. It was founded more so on dislike right. of a person. Not so much to compare, but there were certain things about the 45th president that I said, ah, oh, morally, that's, ugh, you know, but when it came to the things they were saying about um, Barack Obama, it was like, oh, he needs to separate from his pastor because his pastor, which is what most black pastors are, was a civil rights activist. Mm-hmm. And his activism in his preaching made people say, oh, he needs to separate from him if he's going to be president. He can't be connected to that because they were uncomfortable with pretty much what he was preaching is what we're living right now. So, Mm -hmm. um... And when you look at the vote, when you look at our vote as a whole, one thing that I can say is that whether we're talking Republican or Democrat, both have undervalued the, the power and influence of the black vote. Right. They, you know, typically we don't see them any politicians right until you know that four-year mark and they start making their rounds in the church they just start kind of popping up here and there churches and talking and and all of a sudden issues become important right and a lot of power play happens which lets me know that if we were as as a community as a black community if we ever really began to understand the impact of our vote mm-hmm. we it, it would give us i think our vote and this is just me. I'm not. I'm not a political science guy or anything like that. But this is just my observations. I feel like our our focus has been so scattered. We can never really garner the the and harness the power of our vote. Yeah, you know, I, I agree. Um, because for the black community for so long, first of all, you had the 
you had the people who, for no logical reason, had felonies that, you know, couldn't vote. Mm-hmm. And so they couldn't vote. And then you had those that voted that felt like their vote just did not matter. Mm-hmm. And they would vote. And then they say, you know what? We're voting. And we know we believe. We know what we celebrate. But it just doesn't seem to work in our favor. Mm-hmm. So they stopped voting. Yeah. For a great deal of the black community would not vote because they felt like, hey, this, it just, it has no weight. That's what they felt like. It was like, I'm tired of every, every election cycle saying, I got to choose of the lesser of the two evils. Right. Who's going to not be the worst, right. you know, against our community. And that's a, that's a, that that's a real bleak. That's a bleak outlook. To have to, 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 you know, step into, which brings us to 2020. Right. We got COVID, we got unemployment, mm-hmm. we got all kinds of things going at economy tanked. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what, what has upset me, um, you know, before I even get to, to, to the current guys, one of the things that, you know, I was a big, I am a big Cornell West, Dr. Cornell, Cornell West fan. We've right. seen him in person. Yes. Mm-hmm. We've attended his lectures. Read his books. Yeah. And, um, he he got a lot of flack for his critique of of Barack Obama. He got he got I mean real and, and what I love about him and and you know of course we can we can dialogue about this but mm-hmm. what I love about Dr. West was no matter who he was talking about about his bottom line was Justice is what love looks like in public. Right. And I need to know that this community that has been oppressed and underserved is going to be addressed. Now, as going into office, mm-hmm. you know, like I said, was coming across that bridge going through Philadelphia. Right. They were like, we got a brother in the White House. Yes, they were. <laughs> and I think that the the expectation of the black community, why it was very exuberant, I think the expectation wasn't where it should have been. Right, because they looked at um, Barack Obama as if he had a magic wand. Mm-hmm. He had been handed handed a pile of just, I mean, for just a pile of crap. Mm-hmm. So, 2008. He was handed a pile of crap. So it took, it was going to take time for things to change. Mm-hmm. And people felt like because he was black, that he had to, his whole, his sole purpose was to serve the black community when, for real, his purpose was to be the president of the United States of America, which includes all people. Mm-hmm. I agree. And when we talk about our leadership, I think, and this is where I feel, I think that some people gave him a golden ticket, a pass mm-hmm. automatically, like he was exempt from any criticism. Mm-hmm. And the thing I say about that is sometimes good men need to be pushed into better positions. Correct. They need to be held to, I think, when you have good men, you've got to hold them to a place of accountability because just because they're good moral men, that doesn't mean they automatically step into the the weight of that moment. I believe he did, but I believe that it was both um, with a, a balance of, you know, just greatness that he was the first black president, but also there was this expectation that a lot of the community said, okay, you there, now do something. Right. And on the flip side, you hear a lot of people, when we heard a lot of people say that, especially, especially the black community, hey, what's he going to do? But on the flip side with the current administration, we'll say, oh, well, I mean, 
you know, it's the house that's running it. It's not him. So if things go wrong, it's never him. It's the house that's running it. Mm-hmm. But when things went wrong with, with Barack, and that's what I think was a little frustrating for me, he was always responsible. Now, as a good leader, he also took responsibility. Mm-hmm. Whether it was his call or not his call or, you know, whatever the case was, he owned it because he was the leader, and that's what leadership does. Mm. So we, we fast forward to 2020. Here we are. Mm-hmm. And we've got, you know, mm-hmm. old Joe, mm-hmm. you know, and a, a lot of people have begun to affectionately call him Uncle, Uncle Joe Bill. and all that stuff. First of all, Joe Biden is not my friend and he sure ain't my uncle. Right. And I think that that's that's something I feel like when people I feel like that's how people take advantage of the black vote. Because they kind of infuse it with nostalgia and some feel goods. And really what, what they're trying to package Joe Biden as is Obama 2.0. Right. He's just as good as the black guy, but he's your white uncle. Right. He ain't my uncle. No, he's, yeah. And he ain't my friend. There is right. an expectation. We send politicians to to Washington to work for us, to, yeah. to for the, we the people. Right. So I don't need a friend. I don't need an uncle. See, because that whole uncle thing, and even in our community, you know, and a lot of people, I mean, everybody has uncles, you know, mm-hmm. but but it seems like in ethnic communities, like in, in, in Hispanic or, or, or right. African-American, and that's not to negate any other ethnicity, right. but I'm just saying, and I, I can only speak to our experiences, our uncles, those are like, those are second dads. Right. They are oftentimes very close knit to the family. And when you, even your, even your older friends that you say, oh, that's my uncle. Right. It's always this, this, uh, mm-hmm. uh, kind of like this imagery of someone that you look up to that mm-hmm. you, that you feel like you can follow. Right. So when they start slipping in, oh, that's Uncle Joe Biden. Let's not do that. Let's not, let's not make this, um, let's ro- not romanticize politics. Let's look at it from a logical, you know, a, a numbers standpoint. Don't, mm-hmm. vo- I don't think you can always vote with your heart. You got to have your head in there. But you gotta have your head in there, and I and, and I say it. I said it often. Anybody that just, I mean, outside of the president, anybody that just votes straight party is irresponsible. Mm. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. Even if you vote for him, you gotta vote based on your conscience. Period. So you can't just say, "Well, I want Joe, Uncle Joe. You know, I want Joe Biden to be the president, and then I'm voting straight down Democratic Party." Just like you shouldn't say, "I want." Trump to be the president and I'm voting straight down Republican Party because mm-hmm. that's irresponsible and there's no way in the world that that whole party represents your beliefs. It can't. It, no no political party was dis- designed no. to envelop no. your co- who you are as a person. Right. They represent po- your politics is a, is a part of your life. Right. Now those things influence others. They're, they have tentacles across the board. Mm-hmm. But when we just reduce ourselves down to the left or the right, or oh, the libtards and the bleeding heart liberals, or those right-wing conservatives. I think we miss the opportunity. We, we had dinner with a friend tonight, and they were saying that they have friends on both sides mm-hmm. of the aisle. Yeah. And when they're with one set of friends, they say, oh my God, I don't see how you could, you know, say you're a Christian and, and you know, and vote anything Democrat. And he said, he told his friend, well, that's what Democrats say. I don't see how you could be a Christian and vote anything and yeah. just be all Republican. And, and they were like, really? And both sides say that. And, and they're saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. It, you know what it reminds me of, not to get too deep in theology, but the old adage of um, the different sects of Pentecostal 
um, uh, uh, different types of Pentecostal expression churches. Right. You got um, apostolic Pentecostals. The you, yeah, you got ones that believe that God manifested Himself in one way through through Himself as Jesus Christ. Then you got you know the Trinitarians. And one set is saying the other set's going to hell. Right. But they're all Christians. And for real, they're all saying the same thing. They're just saying it differently. And they're so afraid to add any myst- you know, myst- mysticism to it because God can't be mystical, even though he says. <laughs> I'm a spirit. The mystery of. <laughs> right, you know? right. So you got, oh, well, you know, God is one person manifested in the Godhead. Well, uh, he's three po- three persons of one. Per- y'all saying the you're same. saying the same thing. Thing. And if you don't really follow religion, don't worry about it. We just took a detour for a minute. Yeah. But it's it's interesting how we do the, some of the same. If people, if we could just get smart people in a room and shut the door and get them to admit together, agree that there is a problem. Mm-hmm. Just that. Is there a problem? Yes. Okay, cool. What do smart people do? We, we, we salute, we develop solutions. They'll find out that they're saying a lot of the same things. Yeah, that's why we need to come and let us reason together. Mm-hmm. Because if we don't reason together, and for in order to start really reasoning together, you gotta have you gotta have an independent thought. Because what happens is people run in groups and they don't even have their own thought process. Like they don't even know why they think what they think or why they believe what they believe. Like I've talked to so many people since this whole racial tension just kind of um we you know re-imaged because now we got all people you know kind of on board Mm -hmm. and people say you know i'm republican you know um hey i'm against abortion and i'm like is that your whole claim to fame like your whole republican vote was based on abortion what else are you right what else are you? It, it, what I get is I'm a Christian. Hey, hey, you know, hey, I'm, I'm a Republican. I, I, I'm against abortion. And I've gotten that so many times. And I'm like, wow, that's pretty shallow. If that's all your, that's that's your whole reason or your sole reason for voting for one political party. I'm that's a, sad. I'm against murder. Right. But people are, you know, so I can't. I think that what happens is when we base it down, that's when people, I think just boiling it down to, I'm against abortion and that's how I vote. Right. I, and I, if I offend you, this is the inconvenient truth. I think that's just flat out lazy. It is lazy. It's lazy and irresponsible. Because you don't want to dig deeper into the, the humanity right. that surrounds you and realize there are so many things that are wrong. Right. But people do wrong things. And if God gives people the free will. I don't know how we feel like we should just override that. And if somebody makes a decision... Whether I agree with that decision or not, I have to honor that they have a relationship and they have a mindset and they have someone that they have to give an account to in their life. And what I have to say to that is shame off you. Shame (laughs) off you. Right. Because And and we've had those conversations with some of our friends and said, well, I guess, you know, I wouldn't be accepting in most Republican circles. I've had a couple of abortions, and these ain't black folks just saying they're, that. Of course, they're not black folks. that's just saying it, because for black folks, they they aren't they aren't ashamed to say things like that. Like for real, when you think of like just I mean Christianity across the board, because we've been a part of both, you know, just kind of like three or four different sects. Mm-hmm. Typically, the black community, we had testimony service, so we've been telling on ourselves for a very long time transparency yeah we've been very transparent with a lot of things where the the white community sometimes it's all kind of shrouded in uh, you know so for them to say they have an abortion that's like big 
oh my god that's the but for real, that's the cardinal sin almost mm-hmm. you know and so that kind of speaks to why they vote the way they vote because that's the cardinal sin where in the black community I mean if things happen and they have one they just say you know hey this is dot 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 and for real we celebrated the fact that they could say that because your healing is in your testimony right and they're not going crazy from the secrecy from the secrecy of it, it we, you, yeah you support ahead. people towards a healing Wow. You don't say, oh, well, you know what? I'm glad you did that. No, you did it, and there's nothing you can do to reverse it. Now, let's move forward, and let's get you healed. Because anybody that takes a life, I don't care how you take it, there's some consequences and some mental anguish that they have to deal with. Yeah. And I believe, as a part of the Christian community especially, it's our job to rally behind these people and not make them feel bad, not make them feel like they're on their way to hell with gasoline draws, but to rally around them and help them get healed. Because the whole Jesus died so we could be healed and whole. And I guess my question is, what do people have against compassion? Well, people, the problem is if, if you have too much compassion, too much compassion, because that puts us, compassion makes us equal. Equality feels like oppression to those who are privileged. So. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. <laughs> Mm-mm. Run back, run that back one more again. Equality. Before that, oh, what you said. Compassion makes us equal. It puts us on the same playing field. If we say, "Oh, you know what? I've been there." I, 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 what did Jesus do? Jesus came down and was touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Jesus saw reason for coming to earth so that he could feel what we feel and walk in our shoes and be touched with our pain. He condescended so to he, men of yes, low estate because he was looking for equality. He never meant for anybody to be above somebody. That's why when the disciples were like, hey, look at them. They're over there doing stuff in your name. He said, yo, they're ours too. Because he never meant to us. He meant, never meant to have a us and we mentality. Man instituted that and then man just built it up and they're still riding on that. Which is why religion is so profitable. Exactly. Because um, religion in the sense of, of, of how America uses it. Right. It builds a hierarchy. I'm here, you're there, and Mm -hmm. you're trying to get to where I am. Mm -hmm. And maybe one day, if you're lucky, God will be gracious enough. For you to get close to where I am. Well, you'll almost be where I am. Exactly. Wow. Whoa. You know, wow. I was, um, okay, y'all. I'm just going to be very candid in this recording. I knew leading up to this recording that there was going to be something kind of synergistic. There was just going to be some kind of energy in this. And, um... I, what you just said, I think that's one of the most smartest things. And I've known you for almost 15 years. Uh, well, no, I've known you over 15 mm-hmm. years, I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think that is one of the most prolific and profound things I've ever he- heard you say. Equ- um, compassion produces equality. Right. And equality looks like oppression to, to people who are, who are holding on to their privilege. Yeah. No, I mean, you, when you think about just the racial tension in the in the country today, if people were not afraid to hold on to privilege, we wouldn't have all these back and forth wars. People wouldn't be going against each other, and they wouldn't have all these. Well, we're, I mean, for, we, we got people who are really sparring against mm-hmm. each other simply because nobody wants to come down and just say, oh, you know what? We're equal. I get it. They don't want to be mm. equal because if we're equal, what am I going to play on? What do I have to hold? What do I have? And for real, I don't want to be you because for real, I see how the country has treated you. 
So if we if we're equal, does that mean I'm gonna be treated that same way? I'm not giving up my privilege for you. Absolutely not. But you're my brother and my sister. But I'm not giving up my privilege. Wow. You know, um, there was a uh, Todd Bridges from Different Strokes. Mm-hmm. Different Strokes. Um, he did a guest appearance on the little. Little House on the Prairie. I remember that. Yeah. God, this was age. I'm yeah, telling my age old. now, for real. Mm-hmm. But that video began to surface again. And um, he she was, he was in the school. He was one of the only black kids in that. You know, the Little House on the Prairie had the one-room classroom. Yes. It, I mean, God forbid we try to teach people this way now, right? But um, he's sitting in the classroom, and the teacher asked him, what do you want to be or something like that? And he said, like, I don't have no dreams. And she was like, what, what do you mean? So he's trying to help her understand who he is in this. And, and in the greatest scheme of things. And he wasn't trying. And, and I look back on this episode. She didn't need convincing because she had eyes. She had eyes. And she lived in that community. Yeah. And he asked him, Michael Douglas, he said, um, not Michael Douglas, the uh, the other guy. He asked me, he said, would you want to live 50 years as a black man? No, no, a hundred years as a black man or fifty years as a white man. Crickets. Uh, and he I'm just cool. looked at Yeah. <laughs> and it, because you whatever whatever it is, I'm not gonna switch I'm not gonna switch places with you because I don't even want to ima- I, I block that part of my brain out. And that's where the compassion produces that equality. And this is what's this is what's what's crazy about this. Is that happened so many years ago because the house on the prairie hasn't been remade in Seven years. Yeah. That happened so long ago. And then look at the episode with the whole Confederate flag and stuff that was on the Golden Girls. Like, this stuff. That was the 80s, yeah. Right. This stuff has been coming out forever and ever, but you could easily turn a blind eye to it. But what happened during this season, the whole country shut down so that your blind eyes had to see. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you you could no longer say, oh, I don't see that. You couldn't look away. You couldn't Mm -hmm. turn and do something else. You couldn't get busy with anything else. You had to see it because it was smack dab in your face. Yep. And and what's crazy is the fact that there's been a resurgence, and this is not a conspiracy theory, but the fact that there's been this heavy cons- uh, resurgence of the infection. Right. We can downplay it. So, oh, but people aren't dying. and People are dying. People are this. dying. And I believe that part of the reason is because America, particularly the upper echelon, are not used to being told no. How dare you tell me no? I'm not gonna wear you. When you say crazy crap like you're you're infringing on my constitution, your constitution don't say jack about no <laughs> damn mask. Let's just be real about that. It don't say nothing about no mask. Um, your 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 rights have not been infringed upon. But imagine, and this uh, this uh, let me hear your voice on this. You're going. You don't want to go in a store that says no mask, no entry. But what about just a few years ago when there were signs on the door that says whites this way, colors, y'all go around back. Right. So imagine going to a place where it says uh, you're not white, you don't enter. Mm. You can swallow that. But you can't swallow no mask. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all like, go around back and, eat, you know, eat in the back of the kitchen. But God forbid, I'm not going to put on no mask. I'm not putting on the mask. <laughs> I don't care who's dying. Right. You know, that's what people are saying because they're being very selfish with it. And, but for real, why would you not be selfish if you have the privilege to do so? Hmm. You haven't had that privilege to be selfish. So it's not, it's not as difficult for us to say, okay, so I got to wear a mask because we've always had to adjust. succumb and adjust to 
somebody else's standard. So it, it's not that hard for us. I mean, we may not like wearing masks. We may complain about it. But for real, if it's a matter of going to the store or not going to the store, we're going to grab a mask, put it on, and go to the store because we're okay making adjustments because we've heard no most of our lives. Hmm. I, I was talking to someone um, just casually in the store, and, I, you know, God bless her heart. I think she struck up the conversation Obviously, she looked over, saw a black guy, and she was a very nice lady. And she just looked over and said, mm, mm, mm. this is not my America. I don't even know. This is not who we are. And I kind of smile. And that's something we say, like, after school shootings mm-hmm. and things like that. Let me just go ahead and get in trouble. Mm-hmm. That's exactly who we are. Right. Because if we wanted to stop school shootings, there are things we could do without, <laughs> without taking anybody's guns. Or their rights to have a gun. There are things we could do. But the reality is, cash rules everything around us. Yep. So the big lobbyist, NRA is one of the biggest donors of anything. Yep. So yeah, this is our America. And the sooner we stop BSing ourselves and look at it and say, yep, this is our ugly truth. Well, you know what? It can't be an ugly truth because it's not just that this is our America. For many of, of, of us, when I say us, I'm not including me. But for us, God is American. So this is his America. That's why when you start talking about the Second Amendment, it's my God-given right. I carry, but it ain't my God-given right. <laughs> it's, a, it's a right given you by a piece of paper. and, and you, But we can't even tell the truth about who we know our founding fathers to be. Right. First of all, they, they were the founding fathers of this country right but they let's let's not make any qualms or be misled about anything and hear me and hear me good (laughs) (laughs) they did not have me in mind when they formed the framework in the fabric of this country well they had you in mind you just were under their foot right (laughs) right so you know there there is this there's this reconciling moment that i feel like we haven't come to in america that we are, it's a reckoning hap- that's going to happen. Yeah. Where we're going to have to ignore. I see, I see rumblings of it. They're changing the names of things. And when people start saying crap like, but they, I feel like they're just taking out American culture. What you're saying is they're taking out white, white. supremacist yep. culture. Yep. And you don't like that. I've read something today on Facebook where they were talking about something like that. And they said, well, they better stop it because the good old boys are going to get them. I was like, wow. Mm. Oh, so the good old boys are going to get them because you're destroying our America. And there was, there, there would never be in anybody's mind a dis, you would never erect a, a statue to anyone in the Nazi party in a Jewish community. But we've gone to school, yep. we've learned in. We've lived in buildings. We've been residents. We, we, I mean, everything we had was a representation of a five-year skirmish right. with people who didn't want to let slavery go. And then you have the audacity when people say, "Yeah, that that statue should be coming down. It's 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 celebrating a you know a racist general." But this is our history, right? Oh, that that that's but, a bad part of our history. But they say this is our history. But when Sean King said those white statues of Jesus need to come down, oh, they went crazy. Mm. Because for real, that's our Jesus. You don't mess with our Jesus, even though Jesus never looked like that if you've read the Bible. He didn't look like one of those boys from Hollywood, you know, blonde hair, blue eyes, which is what we have a lot of times. Mm -hmm. And that's what those images look like. But for real, these... 
evangelicals were hot. They mm-hmm. were, they were, they threatened, they threatened to have his life. You don't mess with my Jesus. Okay, and you're going too far. You're messing with my Jesus. If that's your Jesus, if your Jesus is an idol like that, you might as well go worship another religion <laughs> that has idols that are man-made. And for that, any any you know real bad male you can address that Sharice with a C C H E R E S E. No, I'm kidding. You sure can. Uh, <laughs> I'm used to it. All right, so I'm used to it. I can handle it. But I, that, I think maybe that's something that we can explore in, in, in a, you know some of our upcoming um, episodes as well. The impact of race and culturalism in our religion today. We absolutely can. I think that's a great place. And in fact, let's go ahead and unplug it here. Once again, this is The Inconvenient Truth with... Sharice. And Early. We thank you so much uh, for listening. Uh, just subscribing. Subscribing, sharing. So, yeah, just get, get on board with us. We're going to take a journey. Um, every episode, we're trying to unpack and unfold just different aspects of multiple uh, topics. Because we want, we want to feed you the truth, even though... It might be inconvenient. All right, y'all take it easy.